Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Visual Politic Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Whistler. In this one, the end of the South Korean model. Uh, it was originally released on our YouTube channel, the 29th of April, 2019. This is the audio version of that video. I'm going to jump in throughout the audio version and mention any clarifying things that will help you understand it as it's just audio. Like if there are any charts or graphs, well, I'll jump in and explain things. And let's get into it. The year is 1955. South Korea is a corrupt and unstable country that depends heavily on foreign aid. Devastated by the war, South Korea was at the time the third poorest country in all of Asia. Its per capita income equaled that of African countries such as Ghana, and it was enduring the highest inflation and lowest growth rate in the entire region. Ruled with an iron fist by the authoritarian General Park Chung-hee from 1961, expectations for this country were not great. South Korea in the 60s was a country of emigrants, since even its northern neighbor looked more promising. But just a second, because that's certainly not how things look today. Nowadays, South Korea is the country of K-pop, K-beauty, K-fashion, and K-dramas. In short, we're talking about a country that's become trendy. Folks, the Korean wave, also known as Hallyu, has reached virtually every corner of the globe. Not sure if I'm pronouncing Hallyu right there. Uh, I hope my magical pronunciation dictionary doesn't have it, and I'm not up to scratch on South Korean culture. Now, don't think that it's only culture that has been exported. Not at all. South Korean companies such as Samsung, Hyundai, or LG have also extended their tentacles across all five continents. <laughs> no small feat. South Korea has been one of the greatest economic success stories of all time. In a little over three decades, that's just one generation, South Korea went from being a third world country to becoming one of the richest and most prosperous countries on the planet. So the question is, how did South Korea manage this development? How did it manage to become such a rich country? Well, in a nutshell, it was thanks to the unique South Korean development model, which is characterized by large industrial groups, the keyballs, along with a very demanding educational system, an open approach to the world, a large accumulation of capital, and active technological absorption policies. And this all led to the so-called South Korean economic miracle. In 2017, this man won at the elections, the current president, Moon Jae-in, with a fistful of new policies that he promised would turn South Korea's economic model around. And we aren't talking about conventional policies, far from it. So listen up. An exhausted model? Yes, nowadays South Korea is one of the richest countries on the planet, and its economy it continues to grow. But its model is flawed, and many indicators show a negative trend. For example, it is expected that in 2019, the country will record the lowest growth of the last seven years. Its unemployment rate just hit a nine-year low in January. Wages aren't increasing, and young people are finding it harder and harder to get a job. None of this has been very common in South Korea over the last 30 years. 
Unfortunately, because we ourselves do not see the future of Korea as so rosy, I do not want to bring up children in this unpromising society. I think that mentality is persistent among many of my peers. Bang Song Dyok, a civil engineering doctoral student. This alone should be cause for concern, right? Well, hold on a minute because there's a whole lot more. Households, South Korean families, accumulate debt equivalent to almost 100% of the gross domestic product, which makes them the most leveraged households in any country in the world. Because yes, South Koreans do save a lot, but they also invest a lot, especially in housing. And on top of that, most jobs are so unproductive that the workday extends well into the evening. And I'm not talking about a couple of hours overtime here. Check this out. From the Guardian. South Korea cuts, quote, inhumanely long 68-hour working week. President introduces 52-hour work week to help improve quality of life and boost birth rates. If I don't work over time, my pay gets reduced. I'd rather work more to get paid more. Lee Myung-ryol, a 37-year-old who earns $1,800 a month at Wong BTS. As you can see, this model is quite unsustainable. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. You see, the South Korean economy has some characteristics that we need to take into account. On the one hand, South Korea's economy is divided, so to speak, into two main parts. There's the huge keyballs, which are extremely important. The 10 largest groups alone generate more than 40% of its GDP, actually 44.2% in 2018. These groups receive favors and privileges from the government, they control financial institutions, and they have behaviors that seek to limit competition within the country. Then there's the SMEs, that's the small and medium-sized enterprises. More than 3.5 million people have companies that have no privileges and are subject to the enormous power keyballs. This is a situation that has very significant consequences. For example, the average SME salary, which is what most South Koreans earn, is approximately half that of the large company salaries, and while the gap, it just keeps on growing. Why? Well, because, among other things, the big keyballs behave in a monopolistic way, and there are many suspicions of collusion between these groups and various politicians. It goes something like this. The directors of one large group agree with the directors of another group and get some politicians involved in order to limit the competition and share the market between them. Faced with this situation, you can already imagine that the power of their SMEs is enormous. If they don't accept the keyball's conditions, they simply have to shut down. And this isn't just a matter of salary differences. In recent years, the number of SMEs that have declared bankruptcy has grown exponentially. As if that weren't enough, the technological development of countries like China is also increasing competition and putting pressure on the South Korean economy, which is extremely dependent on exports. Shown on screen is a bar chart from the World Bank showing the percentage of GDP that exports make up in 2017 for South Korea at 45.09%, Canada at 30.89%, China at 19.75%, Japan at 16.12%, and the United States at 11.89%. Well, this is causing the keyboards to transfer part of their production to other countries and replace local suppliers with foreign suppliers. 
Korean companies can't compete with China and India on price and should move up the value chain. But the industrial evolution towards higher value added products is not happening in the SME sector because of their reliance on the conglomerates. Park Sung-in, an economics professor at Seoul National University. To see an example of this, we need look no further than the automotive industry. South Korea is one of the largest car manufacturers in the world, but in spite of the surge that the sector has experienced in recent years, South Korean production has been falling for the last three consecutive years. Why? Because Hyundai, which controls 70% of the national market, is moving its production and suppliers to countries like Mexico and India. In the end, folks, the privileges that the government has given to these groups and the actions that they have taken to limit competition have meant that most jobs are tied to unproductive companies with little efficiency and little investment in research and innovation. And of course, if you don't have those things, then you can't compete with countries like China or Vietnam, which have much lower labor costs. And all of this, well, it's generating a lot of fear in South Korea. But it was precisely for his promise to solve these problems that Moon Jae-in, the current president, won the elections in 2017. And you know what? He's got a bit of an unconventional plan. So how does Moon Jae-in want to rescue South Korea? Well, check this out. President Moon Jae-in's plan. Viewer, Moon Jae-in has promised to reform South Korea's economic model from top to bottom. He isn't planning on doing it with the typical solutions of lower taxes or less regulation. In fact, quite the opposite. The South Korean president's plan is based fundamentally on two pillars. The first consists of what its supporters call democratizing the economy. In practice, this consists of raising taxes, increasing public spending, public employment, and the minimum wage. And this isn't exactly happening in small quantities. See, in 2019, public spending will grow by more than 10%, which is the largest increase in a decade. On the other hand, the minimum wage grew by 16.4% in 2018, and in 2019, it will rise by an additional 10.9%. And the government has already said that the raises, they're not going to end there. In order to finance more state spending and the hiring of 850,000 new public employees, Moon Jae-in has boosted the corporate profits tax, which will go from 22 to 25%. And he's also going to raise taxes on the highest wages. The idea that the government has is that all these measures will raise families' income and, with it, consumption. This would reduce the dependence of South Korean companies on exports. The problem? Well, folks, it's just not working. See, since Moon Jae-in began taking these measures, the economy has begun to slow down, unemployment has started to grow, and to top it all off, lower family incomes are actually falling. Yep, you heard that right. Their salaries are increasing, but many workers have lost their jobs. So the net result is that 20% of families with fewer resources earn less money today than they did before the minimum wage rise. All this explains why the president's approval ratings have dropped from 84% in mid-2017 to 45% today. But folks, before we finish, there's another great pillar in the South Korean president's strategy. And we need to look at it now, so listen up. North. Folks, the South Korean president is convinced that his country's future involves North Korea. 
We are at the historical start line toward common prosperity on the Korean Peninsula and Northeast Asia. This is an opportunity that has come like a miracle. It is a chance that we should never miss. Moon Jae-in. He wants to promote three large economic belts to connect South Korea's industrial core with North Korea, with China, and with Russia through new rail lines, roads, gas pipelines, electrical networks, etc. The investments needed to implement just the new trains would amount to more than $40 billion. Korea anticipates that the Trans-Siberian Railway will again reach Busan, the southern tip of the Korean peninsula where I grew up, building on the permanent peace on the peninsula. Moon Jae-in in an address to the Russian Duma. Folks, with all of these projects, the president wants to improve the South Korean economy's commercial capabilities while giving his companies access to North Korea's resources and labor. See, it's estimated that a North Korean worker's monthly salary is around $60, which is much less than what Chinese or Vietnamese workers charge. For Samsung Electronics, North Korea is a good candidate to set up production lines because it can offer cheap labor, has no language barrier, and has the same time zone. Yu Sung Min, chief strategist at Samsung Securities. The problem? Well, Moon Jae-in isn't having much luck here either. While negotiations between North Korea and the United States are going slowly, South Korean companies aren't convinced about investing billions of dollars in North Korea in the short term, especially because they don't trust Kim Jong-un's regime. And then there's the last question. Who's going to pay the huge price tag required to carry out these plans? So to recap, this is the recipe with which Moon Jae-in wants to transform the South Korean economic model. More taxes, more public spending, more public employment, higher minimum wages, and development in North Korea. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. This was originally a video that aired on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to get stuff right up to date as it comes out, please do search Visual Politic. That's politic with a K, one word, in YouTube, and you will catch all of our videos. Also, if you like this, please do consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We really do appreciate it. And as always, I'll see you next time.